Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Hi, America Cruz Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Silicon Valley runs on immigrant labor. But right now, a lot of young immigrants who really want to live and work in the Bay Area after spending a majority of their life in America are facing a huge problem. Documented dreamers, children of immigrants here on work visas, are aging out of their parents' green card applications. And if we can't figure out a permanent path to citizenship, A 21st birthday for many of these documented dreamers means a risk of deportation. Everybody else perceives us as American as well, from our peers to my like managers, etc. I think we're American every way but on paper, and we wish the system was as complicated as this. Today, the story of two documented dreamers in the Bay. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. We're talking about a group of young people in their teens and 20s who find themselves caught in a Kafka-esque nightmare. Rachel Myro is senior editor of KQED's Silicon Valley Desk. When they were seven years old, Eva and Eti Sinha moved to San Francisco to the Richmond district in particular, along with their mother, to join their father, who was getting a new degree uh, in San Francisco to help him transition into a second career. So my name's Eva um, and my name is Iti. Yeah, we're twins. <laughs> One minute apart, to be exact. Right around the time they're anticipating middle school is coming up, the family moves to Fremont. We just felt like everybody else. We took up tennis, played at the tennis course in Lake Elizabeth on the weekends. We hiked Mission Peak. Yeah. We went to New Park Mall and then Pacific Commons once it opened I think in like high school, we learned how to ride our bikes in Golani Park. Um, we loved eating all like the Asian food in San Francisco and Bay Area. You know, very like pretty typical, like just just children growing up in the Bay. Fremont is a very diverse place, and they had a lot of friends who were not just diverse in, in an ethnic or a racial sense, but a lot of friends who were immigrants, first, mm. second, third generation immigrants. We never really felt out of place. 
Um, we felt like we fit right in. We had a lot of other friends um, who were immigrants. There was a lot of people who had similar upbringing to us in terms of grew up in a different country. Um, you know, their parents came, left everything they had and um, try to find a new life for themselves in the U.S. And yeah, and like, you know, that was something that, that was an experience I shared a lot with a lot of my um, high school friends. When did Eva and Eddie realize that they were different from their peers, that they had a actually different immigration status? I would say junior year of high school. You you think about this every year. Juniors across America start thinking about college in a serious way. Etty and Eva had another overriding question that they suddenly realized they had to consider, which was, how are we going to apply? They are on what's considered a dependent visa. Most of my friends had gotten their green card by the time they were in high school. Due to the um, green card backlog, you know, our our parents applied in 2011 when we were in middle school, but, you know, they still don't have their green card today. So in high school, we were still um, dependents on their work visa. Their parents applied for visas to study or to work here in the U.S. for a certain number of years. Their parents have applied uh, for green cards, for the right to live and work here in the U.S. permanently. But if one or more of their children came over from the home country at some point after birth, they are in immigration lingo, they are in status, but they're not going to stay in status once they turn 21. That's when you really realize, okay, as much as our experiences are similar to our peers, um, we actually have the same amount of opportunity um, and access. Once they turn 21, considered foreign nationals by the U.S. government and, and other authorities, like, like public universities and colleges. So these young people who have grown up in America, who consider themselves American, suddenly discover they're American, but not on paper. Conditionally American. They're conditional Americans. If my parents don't get a green card by our birthday, that we never will get a chance to get a green card with them. And who knows how long it'll take for us to get our own green card. When their parents first applied to come to the U.S., they didn't anticipate that everything wouldn't be settled by the time their girls were in high school. They didn't anticipate that the green card backlog would be so long. And indeed, at the time that they applied, there wasn't really the massive backlog that we've become familiar with now with green cards. By the time they hit high school, The wait is decades long. So what does their immigration status ultimately mean for them in their everyday lives? Like, is it accurate, Rachel, to say that they don't have a path to citizenship? Essentially, in practical terms. I mean, if either or both of them marries an American citizen, that would be a path to citizenship. But the green card backlog right now is so long that... They're likely to die before their number comes up. Etty is pursuing a doctorate, 
but at some point she's going to uh, graduate and have that diploma and want to get a job, uh, probably in California, probably in the Bay Area. And she's going to need a H-1B visa, six years worth of the right to work here in the United States. And there are, there are a lot of employers who don't actually want to do that. It's a bit of a challenge when you discover that that person you really want to have requires uh, tussling with uh, immigration authorities. I mean, that's, that is too much for many employers. What was going through their minds when they realized the reality of their situation? There's a tendency in a situation like this to blame yourself, to say, I should have read the tea leaves better. I should have understood, you know, what the risks were. Um, this is my fault. And on top of that, like, trying to not blame my family for putting in the situation because it's really hard to be like, oh, you brought, like, to my mom and dad, like, oh, you brought us here and we're suffering. But it's not like they knew but that's just like, it's, a, it's hard. It's like, you have to remind yourself, like, no, it's not their fault. It's a system that's just so messed up. And so there's like so many aspects of our life that just like are encompassed by our immigration system, right? And it's like, it's just, it's extremely difficult to like process all that and every, like, and like keep having more and more obstacles in your way just to continue a life, Um And and then, like, again, like, in the only place I call home. How many people are in this situation, like these two sisters are, um, where they're brought here as kids under their parents' visas, but are now aging out of those without a path to citizenship? I've seen a couple of estimates. Some say 200,000. Some say 250,000. It's around there. According to one estimate, an advocacy group called Improve the Dream, most documented dreamers are Asian. Roughly 70% are Indian. This is a problem affecting young people all over the Bay Area, but substantially where you see a large Indian population. So this is, in many ways, a Silicon Valley problem. What is it about our immigration system that has left this group of young people locked out? We have this creaking immigration law, you know, from the tail end of the last century that sets these quotas. 7% from any one country that's the cap as to how many green cards can be given in, in a particular year. So the limit is the same whether you're Albania or Zimbabwe or India or China. But what's different about India and China is these are two heavily populated countries with huge numbers of well-educated people, many of whom want to bring their, their talents and live their lives Uh, Here in Silicon Valley, tens, hundreds of thousands of people start to flood the queue. You know, the tragedy with the uh, documented dreamers is the greatest tragedy of all. David Beer is a research fellow with the Cato Institute. And he has been delving into uh, some of the wholesale confusion about immigration in Washington, D.C. for the Cato Institute's blog. 
Americans. These are people who grew up in America legally and yet have no path to citizenship. Now, documented dreamers seem like, uh, you know, this is an easy win on immigration. This is one where everyone's going to agree and there's no reason to, to be afraid of it. I know there was a lot of fear during the Trump years for many immigrants and even more limits at that time to who could come here. So is anything changing under the Biden administration for this particular group of immigrants? Interestingly enough, even though you have more visa approvals happening now, the Biden administration has not come out strong, come out swinging on on immigration reform. It just seems like they're so afraid of bringing up the word immigration, regardless of whether it has any relevance to, you know, a hot button, uh, controversial part of the immigration system. As David has put it, Congress has proven again and again that pessimists uh, have been right in, in the sense that, you know, this political gridlock has has put immigration reform on ice. This administration just can't seem to find its, uh, its way to a win on immigration. What could be done to help people like Eva and Etty? What solutions are on the table right now, both statewide and nationally? Probably the, the biggest potential change for documented dreamers uh, would be provided by what's called in the, in the Senate the America's Children Act. And it has a mechanism in it which allows children who were raised and educated here 10 years in the U.S. and graduated from U.S. University to apply for a green card. It, it also has permanent age-out protections, so people like Eva and Etty wouldn't age out of the system. And this would, this would be a major solve, both for Eva and Etty, but also the hundreds of thousands of young people who are staring down a a, a frightening and uncertain game of musical chairs where they're just trying to grab on to an academic visa here or a work visa here, just trying to buy themselves a few more years when they know, because everybody knows, that comprehensive immigration reform is unlikely to happen in our lifetimes. There's also something interesting happening on the state level a bill called SB 1160. Senate Bill 1160 will allow dependent visa students that meet existing um, eligibility requirements to pay in-state tuition at California's public colleges and universities. There's a good chance it might pass, just given the fact that, that Democrats dominate in Sacramento. Eva and Etia have become activists around this issue as well, right? And even specifically this this bill um, at the state level. Can you talk about that? Talk a little bit about their their activism around this issue and and just for documented dreamers. Both Etty and Eva have had to become their own advocates. And interestingly enough, I, I'm, I'm just struck by the fact that they've become advocates for other people. It was mind-blowing to learn just how many young people are, are in their shoes. I thought it was just me, my sister, and like a handful of people we come across in the Bay Area. Not a quarter million children who are 
suffering like the same story. And so that's when I um, really got involved in Prove the Dream. And once they figured out a pathway forward, at least for the near term, for them, they've turned around and said, well, how can we help others coming up? So so they're offering their their counsel. They've uh, joined an advocacy group. Eva went to Sacramento to testify before the, the California Senate Education Committee. SB 1160 as amended is a great improvement that will benefit thousands and I urge the committee to pass it today. All students, documented and undocumented, deserve equal opportunity to access college affordability. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. And Are Eva and Etty any closer to getting citizenship now? I think without legislation passing like the America's Children Act, there's going to come a point when each of them has to ask, how long do I want to stay in a country that is doing its darndest to, to keep me out? For people who have the talent, the training, the wherewithal, the will uh, to, to do a lot in the United States, we don't make it easy. But this isn't a question of easy. This is impossible. Yeah, I feel like just ultimately, at least for Silicon Valley, for the Bay Area, it just sounds like we will be missing out on a lot of really amazing people like Eva and Etty who want to contribute to our community, to American society, and we're just making it really hard for them to do that. Etty is pursuing uh, medicine. Eva is a financial analyst. They strike me as uh, full of bright intelligence. Both of them graduated from their respective UCs cum laude. (laughs) So they're very, very smart. But they're very serious young women. I, I think in the way they had to grow up quickly to figure out how to stay in the U.S., we are like as American as people who are American citizens. We grew up here. We've educated ourselves here. We want to continue our lives here. We want to contribute to the American economy here. Um, and everybody else perceives us as American as well, from our peers to my like managers, etc. I think we're American every way but on paper. And we wish the system was as complicated as this to, to for us to achieve being American on paper as well. I think it's important to remember that these documented dreamers are here. They are with us. They are part of our communities. They are friends with our children. They, you know, they are here. They are, you know, in the next cubicle over working. And the pull of wanting to live the American dream is so strong that I, I don't know that any parents living abroad who are thinking to themselves, I want to come here are going to be stopped by whatever they read in the news or on Reddit about how hard it is once you get here. I think people will continue to come and risk it. And, you know, it's it's worth pointing out that, that Eva and Etty's parents didn't think they were risking it at the time that they made the decision to come to the Bay Area based on a hope, based on a promise. And uh, the question is, can we find it in ourselves to, to fulfill on that promise? Rachel, thank you so much. Thank you. 
That was Rachel Myro, senior editor of KQED's Silicon Valley Desk. This 55-minute conversation with Rachel was chalked down by Christopher Beal, and producer Maria Esquinka scored this episode and added all the tape. Kiana Mogadam is our senior producer of podcasts. She provided additional editing support on this episode. You can keep in touch with The Bay on Twitter. We are at The Bay KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Thank you so much for listening, y'all. Talk to you next time. I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair, available wherever you get your podcasts.